If you love Push Black's Black History Year, you'll love our newest podcast called Two Minute Black History. In only two minutes, you'll hear little-known stories about our people and reclaim the knowledge we need to take action and advance our community. To move towards the future, you've got to look to the past. Learn the history you didn't get in school. Tune in to Two Minute Black History every Tuesday through Friday, right on the Black History Year feed and wherever you listen to podcasts. Crowns unfurl from our heads, coiling in kinks that defy oppression's grasp. Even when pressed, our hair weaves tales of our past and present, tales of our future and our evolving identity. In every twist resides a story, a testament to our existence. I'm Jay from Push Black, and you're listening to Black History Year. Our folks have long declared the beauty of our hair, starting with the prideful upkeep of our African ancestors to the early natural hair movement in the 1960s, which made a huge comeback in the early 2000s. More and more black people are wholeheartedly embracing our natural hair. I'm talking the wide froze, taper fades, locks, and twist outs too. Our gravity-defying hair can embrace diverse styles, and it mirrors our defiance in the face of struggle. But here's the question. Can our hair truly empower us when confronting challenges that arise in response to our blackness? What true power lies within our nappy roots? Today, we're in for a treat with an incredible guest who honors the extraordinary might of black hair in bold, beautiful fashion. Lindsay Farrar is a dedicated entrepreneur and strategist driven by her passion for shaping culture and nurturing the next generation of leaders. With this in mind, she co-founded Crown Mag, a magazine that centers natural hair and the women who proudly embrace it. Currently, she serves as editor-in-chief, steering the publication's course to empower Black women and the diaspora through print and digital media. She's created an amazing space to authentically and truthfully portray Black women, and we're excited to talk with her about it. So pop on your bonnet, do-rag, or scarf, and get ready for a conversation you don't want to miss. But before we dive in, let's start with today's story about a recent law protecting Black employees, students, and their right to self-expression. Check this out. Many companies enforce dressing policies with coded language that uses race or traits commonly attributed to black people. For example, listing hair textures that include coily, kinky, or afroed as a way to harass workers about style choices that embrace their natural beauty. That practice was outlawed thanks to the recently unanimously passed California State Senate Bill 188, also referred to as the Crown Act, Crown for creating a respectful, open workplace for natural hair. 
Los Angeles Senator Holly J. Mitchell, who authored the bill and rocks gorgeous natural locks herself, notes that the Crown Act protects black employees and students from being forced to conform to a non-inclusive idea of a professional image at the expense of their personal choice. The anti-discrimination legislation also spells out just how devastating dress codes that reject twists, braids, locks, and other perfectly appropriate styles commonly worn by black job seekers can be. Workplace dress code and grooming policies that prohibit natural hair, it reads, are more likely to deter black applicants and burden or punish black employees than any other group. What a relief it is to be able to style our hair how we want and not have to argue down an employer who polices our bodies by insisting we adhere to a Eurocentric definition of professionalism. What does Black liberation look like to you? That's a beautiful question. Black liberation, you know, I think... In a from a holistic lens, it is uh, rooted in autonomy. Um, and when I think about it, I think about it from the time we're born, being born outside of you know systems that were designed not we'll just say politely not for us, <laughs> if not against us. Um, it means you know schooling our children, uh, everything, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, um, the way that we live, uh, being ever more autonomous, which I know is, is very difficult in this time in a capitalist society and in uh, a lot of the ways that we've come up, obviously many of us not having generational wealth in land for very obvious reasons. Um, but I think the pursuit of autonomy uh, being able to make decisions on our own terms, um, you know, fortunately, or, I mean, unfortunately, or however you might look at that in a capitalist society, um, I think that relates directly back to economic empowerment. Um, I think a collective sense of empowerment and a collective, uh, just a, a stronger collective mindset and building communities that work together to create that autonomy is, is the, is my <laughs> greatest end goal and I, is my ideal. And um, I think that would be how I define Black liberation. That's incredible. And I appreciate that. Uh, resonates with me. Uh, we have a definition we work with at Push Black. And, you know, for us, we look at um, self-determination first and foremost, when you talk about making decisions that affect our lives, right? And the power to control our destiny, um, ability for us to show up as our full selves and love ourselves and each other uh, in the the way that we, we want to, in the way that we would prefer to, uh, being able to control the institutions that we rely on to move through society. That's what, what we look to when I hear a lot of the elements that you know, there's a lot of alignment between what we're sharing here. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm curious about um, how that definition is connected to the work that you do. Um, how do you 
use your work to execute on that vision of Black liberation? To me, one of the the key determining factors in why, you know, when we look at our so-called our status, if you want to call it that, in society, we've been subjugated, we've been oppressed. A lot of that, uh, if not all of that, can be related back to the way that we see ourselves and the way others see us. There's been a centuries-long propaganda campaign against Blackness um, through the media, whatever that may be, whether that was print and with the advent of TV, more of the same. Um, you know, we know all of the stereotypes from Coons to Mammies, Jigaboos and Jezebel, all the things. And so, um, you know, fast forward to now, uh, growing up, I couldn't flip through a magazine and really ever see a strand of hair that grew from our head from any of any texture um or they you know you you open a magazine and there's hair tips and it's like that she did not do that to get that <laughs> like that is a that mm-hmm. is a weave or a wig so it's like no shade against weaves and wigs but there was not a reality tied to our experience like you're not about to follow those steps and achieve that style um and that's just when we're talking about hair and beauty uh when we're talking about just the depictions of ourselves in a broader sense were depicted as criminals, as low lives. The whole time we've been here, there's been violence against our bodies and that is um, upheld and definitely normalized, but it's made like justified through the depictions of us. We, we start to see ourselves this way and others see ourselves this way. And then you get to the, oh, well, there was weed in, in their system. Oh, well, mm-hmm. you know, the, the justification for our lynching. Obviously, you know, we're, we're a small business. We can't change everything. But I, I'm a true believer that we all do what we can where we are. Um, and so we felt it important to add something into the ether that was a positive depiction um, and not positive in a respectable, respectability politics kind of way, but in a way of hopefully something that feels real and authentic and something that you don't get to see that you know is part of you. And one of the things that makes me the proudest of our work is on the many occasions that we, you know, whether it's giving it to someone in the street or a magazine to someone in the street and seeing them break out into tears, you know, or one day I was uh, on 14th street in New York and I handed one to someone and she opened it and she held it up to her face and she was like, this is me. This looks like me. And, you know, those are those are the moments that this work is for. Um, It's the moments where we can truly see ourselves and start to rebuild that esteem um, because we're we're starting from a standpoint of microaggressions. That's what they call them. Aggression, (laughs) you know, everywhere we go. And so we have to do our part to kind of um, rebuild that so that we can get to the work, the real, real work. And if we don't take ownership of rebuilding it, who who will? I don't believe anybody will. But let's sit with the, the history that you brought up. Um, you shared you know, some of the ways that this 
centuries long campaign against blackness has um, have, has played out intentionally um, to make us make us hate ourselves, how we look, uh, things that we otherwise have valued throughout history. All that was done with intention to make us look at ourselves a certain way and to make other folks look at us a certain way, as you mentioned, to justify that lynching um, and other forms of oppression. I'm curious, you know, in your understanding of the history of Black hair, in, in what ways have you seen us embracing it over time that have really stood out to you as beautiful or expressions of power or liberation? I think Black self-image, beauty, um, and is intrinsically linked with our hair because it has been so deeply stigmatized. Um, and I think one of the most beautiful uh, times that I can think in our recent history are is, you know, the the Black Power movement, the Black is Beautiful of like the late 60s, 70s. Um, I know that was kind of my mom's era and she has a huge fro back in the day. Um, and, you know, that that's a time that is super inspiring in the sense of there was just so much thought leadership from that time that is still directly applicable to today. And I think it's ex- it's exciting that the kind of resurgence of the natural hair movement that happened, you know, maybe I would say around like 09 to to even present day, even though some might argue that we're kind of <laughs> slipping back into what I guess the next would be with the disco era or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think reclaiming that history and reclaiming some of the thought leadership that, that w- went with it is, is a really exciting thing. Um, you know, of course it's, it's beyond just quote unquote hair. Um, it's, it's the ideas. And I think with the advent of, technology not even the advent but the the continuation and the development of technology you know 09 when we started the magazine 2014 i think was the first kind of spark of the idea that we had on our rooftop my rooftop in in crown heights brooklyn um i was talking to nakuma and we just were marveling at the idea that black women were redefining beauty standards for themselves kind of accidentally you know or i would say unintentionally um but mm. through their through documenting their own journeys on youtube like whitney white our first cover girl and it took something that was once done in the kind of intimacy and privacy of your own bathroom kitchen whatever with your sister your mama your cousins went it became you know, something that you could log on and be in a completely different country and see somebody with your similar hair texture. And now you're learning from her natural hair hair journey, not just what products she might be using or, you know, how, like how to do, how she gets the best results from her twist out, but also the, the psychological effects and the, um, what it feels like to see yourself with your natural hair for the first time. And, you know, it was very remarkable to see that sisterhood built through that. Um, And I felt that because I saw my mom's natural hair journey, you know, Um, she was 
uh, diagnosed with breast cancer and thankfully uh, is a survivor and, um, you know, fought her way through and is as fabulous as ever. But I saw her, you know, go from relaxing her hair my whole life to transitioning when she found out about the breast cancer because she's like, okay, I'm putting, I'm going to cut chemicals out of my diet. I'm going to do all of these different um, lifestyle changes. And of course, if you're putting chemicals directly into your scalp, you got to look at that. And so Mm -hmm. I saw her not only change that, but change her eating, cut sugar out of her diet. She starts running. And so I saw like her, her, her physical form transform in front of my eyes. And it really ingrained in me the idea that this hair thing is connected to every part of our lifestyle and every part of how we see ourselves. And I saw her kind of struggle when she did her big chop and seeing herself in the world with a teeny weeny fro for the first time and feeling like she was perceived differently moving through the world. Mm-hmm. And it certainly was perceived differently. And um, it just felt like a really beautiful place to start our love letter to black women um, to kind of show, you know, it's like, I, I think what we wanted crown mag to be is a mirror for our people to see how beautiful we are and have always been. And that kind of started with the hair conversation, but um, again, it's connected to our wellness It's connected to, uh, how we build community and sisterhood um, is connected right. to how we then build our businesses and our larger communities based on that, um, you know, unlearning and dealing with ourself first. I think in this society, there's a lot of um, of pointing fingers and canceling, obviously, and looking around and uh, judging what is happening around you. Although we are very self-centered, we are not is <laughs> very good at looking at ourselves. Uh, mm. And so I think mm. this is a, a way to really look at ourselves and do the work to repair what we've lost. And then yeah. from that space, try to rebuild with the people in our lives. Um, because, because there is so much rebuilding to do. It's amazing how you all Uh, You and your husband identified those trends that were going on and took action to to build on that in a very interesting way. You all chose print when I heard you mentioning um, the observation that there was all these there and still are these black women beauty influencers online, on YouTube, on social media Um, was interesting in hearing you say that. Uh, was I think that's an example of us forming community and reclaiming our own images, right? Because before social media, before the internet, you know, other folks were distributing that to us, even black owned um, publications that were, you know, peddling in our images often had corporate interests and often you know, had certain standards they were trying to uphold. But when we got the power to create something, uh, which, and I don't know the timeline here, but it's interesting how, okay, you, know, you have folks sharing, you mentioned the, the big chop stories and the transition stories um, and others looking for that. They may not see that around them. Um, my wife, for example, went through a tra- her transition when we were um, coming out of, of college. I'm not sure where she went for 
her tips. I probably should ask it before this, but I could imagine um, many people finding that community online if they did not see it around them since it was still new and being able to find that comfort and, okay, other people are going through this um, in ways that I'm not seeing, but then something happens where now it's it's taken off and it's becoming viral. So this idea that um, the internet, for example, provides people an opportunity to build community around um, identity and around, uh, in a very specific way, uh, beauty and self-image. Talk to me about your role in um, the community aspect of, of helping folks find each other, like-minded people who are interested in um, the same type of uh, growth or development as it relates to self-image. My husband and I, we're about we're actually about to celebrate our fifth anniversary, but we were actually just very longtime friends when we started the magazine. So the mm, uh okay. the romantic aspect kind of developed. Funny enough, along with uh the ma- the magazine, we fell in love making the love issue as cheesy as that. That's what's up. That's a um, movie right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but we we um you know, knew each other way back when we were both in Southern California. I went to USC, and so, and he's from Southern California. So, we, uh, I think I, we met right when I was at fresh out of college, and we had worked on a blog like at the beginning of blogging <laughs> um, together. And he had created, directed, and um, I was writing and editing and stuff, and you know, just kind of figuring out this new thing that everybody was kind of contending with. And so we came together in a, in a kind of working context um, and stayed in touch for many years. And he just so happened to be in town for business and, you know, kind of connected like that. And the rest is history. Um, But I would say, even in those early days, it's funny because we, we reflected on this and, you know, we, in those days, and it was more so, it was he and um, our other friend, Jaren's uh, platform called uh, Live Elevated. And they were doing a lot of stuff that was really ahead of their time. But I, I, one of the things that they were doing back then was gathering people for retreats and, um, you know, a lot of things that people are doing now, like, you know, they were gathering and, and filming and uh, galvanizing people. Nkrumah is very much a uh, community organizer. He comes from that background, even in his college days. So, um, you know, when we began, we went out to Afrofunk Music Festival with like a thousand, I don't even know, a couple thousand zines, like our MVP, so to speak, minimum viable product, and put it in the hands of like a thousand <laughs> Black women and just had hand-to-hand conversations uh, Nkrumah's background also, <laughs> he he was an MC once. <laughs> he probably didn't mm. make it famous, but he used to sell, <laughs> uh, he sold like 80,000 CDs hand to him in Venice Beach. You know what I mean? So he came mm. from that that world. And so, and I, w- I worked in the music industry myself. So we were very um, familiar with the idea of like touching the people. And I just remember people like stopping me. Like I'm standing there and people are coming up. What is that? Could I get one of those? You know, and and mm-hmm. that was the day that I was like, okay, I think we got something here. Um, so that was like the like our origins really are in the community, touching and um, talking to the people. But 
from there, you know, we, we would always do pop-up events in Brooklyn. A lot of times we would try to do it in Black-owned businesses um, to kind of drive, put traffic into the building um, and also to, uh, you know, of course, get the people together. And we would always be really excited to see, like, one, nobody cared about us at all. <laughs> they were there for each other. Like, it's like, oh, who, oh, hi, what's your name? And it's like, you know, they would, wouldn't know we were the founders, which we love, like, that's our, we're very, very low key people. So we're, mm-hmm. we're happy that people would come and stay and not want to leave and just talk and talk and talk. And we came to find that, you know, through these, even in the beginning, it was limited words and limited images in this tiny zine, but then it became a 150 plus page journal with lots of, <laughs> lots of words and lots of images. But through these words and images, people saw themselves. When someone sees themselves, uh, describe that for me. What do you mean by that? Well, I think psychographically, we were very intentional about um, who this was for. Uh, to, to give context, when we started, Crown Essence was owned by Time Inc. still. So there were not Black magazines for women that were owned by us that were representing uh, you know no shade to the people of essence the people you know when we were starting they covered us and it was you know the the people working in essence were you know like julie wilson and there were wonderful people there at the time um, who were incredibly supportive but you know they were working within a system that was not necessarily supportive to them um and so you know, I, I always am about creating in a white space and not creating things that already exist because what is the point of that? So we, um, you know, we were trying to fill a void uh, going back to kind of that not seeing ourselves represented growing up. It's like I'm, thir- you know, almost 30 then, I guess, late 20s, and I still can't flip through a magazine and really see see beyond like the res- the respectability version of myself the version that's like super corporate or super buttoned up and um you know uh acceptable um but you know we we when we were starting we're very intentional about uh, like we did things like uh what you call empathy mapping to really dive into who this person is that we're serving and what she needs where she is where she's going what she's looking for and you know, she's a woman becoming, and I think that's still true to this day, although our reader obviously is, has grown, has has gotten a bit older, maybe is starting to have children, all those kinds of things, and that changes you in different ways. There's a lot of, and even since then, there's a lot of things, a lot of places that will kind of decode Blackness for white consumption, but there weren't a lot of places that were, um, I mean, really any place that I can remember at that time. That, that is a true mirror. Um, and that's what we really intended to be is like Mm. this woman who is striving, is breaking generational curses, is interested in ownership, is powerful, but doesn't always want to be strong. Doesn't always want to have to put the strong face on, has a sense of vulnerability, um, you know, is contending with the fact that maybe she did a big chop or is transitioning and is looking at herself through a different light and is looking for that community. 
looking to be affirmed in a world that is constantly uh, tearing her down and, and diminishing her. Um, the woman who's in corporate, maybe in corporate, with the natural hair and has to hear her white boss, mm, what'd you do with your hair today? You know, mm-hmm. um, the things that we know are so common. And that's probably the, the, the like tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, a woman who's on her healing journey, because we know that in our blood is centuries of, of trauma. Um, centuries to undo and to heal um and who is kind of like facing herself down and is is brave enough to to at least start to do some of that work to start to heal her relationships i'm hearing you speak about this healing journey i'm curious about the timing and why this is resonating with folks at this time uh, in our history? Well, hmm. I mean, I think the the natural hair journey, so to speak, is hand in hand with the healing journey. And so right. in capturing that, you know, starting back in 2014, 2015, when we dropped our first zine, um, that was something that bubbled to the top very quickly. Um, you know, and then 2016, by the time we're dropping our first school journal, you know, 100 plus pages. Formation had just come out. Uh, you know, I think two months after we dropped uh, a seat at the table came out. Um, and so, you know, different things like Black Girl Own came out. Like there were just lots of really beautiful representations of Blackness. It was a very magical time, particularly in Brooklyn where we were. You know, you're riding the subway and it's like everybody got a different style clothes, dress, but hair, of course, just everything. You would see everything. Um, And so it was super inspiring. And that was where we personally were at that time, just looking anecdotally at my surroundings, but then at the larger, um, the larger kind of cultural shifts. It was just really interesting from an anthropological perspective. I think so much of it relates to this, the phenomenon that I spoke to before, where it's like, you can, you can see yourself in all of these different communities, like there's communities for everything now, almost too many communities now <laughs> versus mm-hmm. even when we started, um, you know, like they're, they're, we can connect more than we ever could before where you might've just been kind of in your own head, in your own routine, in your own world, your own bubble. Like even now, if you live in Brooklyn, you ain't in Harlem like that, you know, but mm. with social, you were at, you can see a little piece of everywhere. And so I think um, seeing other people sharing their journeys may inspire you to go on your own or may like, you know, even like as a mother right now, I was talking about this with me with my husband the other day. It's like when you, when my mom was raising kids, if a kid, if if your baby was eating a bunch, you just were like, I don't know what's going on. Let me call the doctor. Now you can Google Google it mm-hmm. or AI it and get the exact answer from 20 different places in, I mean, more than 20, but like the top 20 in like two seconds, you know? And so yeah. there's more information available than ever before, um, which I think, you know, it, it um, kind of compels you to look at things in a different way. It's more accessible. It, it even is like 
a thing to do. Like I think about mm-hmm. my mom's time and my grandma's time, like, you know, I'm sure they would have wanted to sit around and talk about healing, <laughs> but I don't think they really had the, the space to do that. Um, and so I think it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful time in that obviously that can come with all kinds of different outcomes and different, um, kind of ways that things can be twisted. But, um, I think it's really beautiful that people are, are looking to heal and to, um, not pass some of these things on to their children, which I, of course, I don't mean to say that other generations didn't do this. I just think it's, it's even more magnified now. So I'm curious when it comes to the content, um, uh, the name crown, I'm assuming uh, referencing hair, but I'm curious if you can get into the name uh, when it comes to the, the content of the, the magazine. Yeah, crown, you know, the colloquial term for hair, but we also love that it represented, you know, in the spiritual senses, there's, it, you know, has, it can be, it can mean what it, what it, whatever it means to you to some degree. Uh, obviously a crown is royalty, uh, you know, it's the utmost it is, you know, the crown chakra is the center for creativity and, um, you know, connection spiritual connection and so um there were all of these beautiful uh beautiful and empowering kind of meanings attached to the word and we actually looked for so many other names we were like how are we going to protect it how is it too obvious you know we we were like walking the streets of brooklyn going in bookstores looking through books like to try to get inspired um and we just kept coming back to it you know, and mm. then it hit us like, oh my goodness, we birthed this on a rooftop in Crown Heights, <laughs> Brooklyn. And so it just, you know, it just, it just made sense. So it's, of course, beauty, hair, but it is um, empowerment. It is healing and wellness. It is, um, you know, we had our storytellers issue. We have a huge creative community. We tend, we have um, creative receptions on a regular basis. Because we are very strongly rooted in photography, we've always really um, attracted the community, the creative community wanting to submit their work. And so we've done a lot to galvanize that community from the early, early, early days. And now we are in the midst of launching Born by Crown Mag, which is our offering in the women's and maternal health space. Um, hmm. which we're really excited about. Our first cover will be with uh, Latham Thomas, who is a uh, renowned doula who has become a doula educator and inspired me to actually train to become a doula myself, um, which I'm in the midst of. But I, I do truly think it's a calling. I do truly think that <laughs> every Black woman, Black person should do doula training because I don't know how familiar you are with the statistics and I hate to regurgitate the statistics because they're depressing, but you know, black women and children are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth and in the year following childbirth. And it is, it's, uh, I mean, it's an emergency. Um, and I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, birthing in freedom is, it's like, if we can't birth in freedom, <laughs> like where, where do you go from there? If we are birthing and experiencing trauma at the hands of institutions that 
you know, gynecology was founded on torture of black enslaved women. So if we are trusting this system with our women and children, our people now, I mean, uh, like what, what are we expecting the outcome to be? Um, so I, I worked with midwives and doulas through my birth and learned quite a bit. Um, and I'm always like, I'm a seeker, so I'm seeking even more knowledge and just let me know how much we don't talk about, um, in our community. And it's interesting. It is so in some ways, so parallel to kind of this quote, natural hair journey, <laughs> um, in a, in a obviously different way, because you're bringing a whole life into the world, but didn't realize, you know, it's like you go to Christmas and there's a new baby and it's like, oh, they're cute, beautiful, my, you know, my new cousin or whatever, uh, niece, nephew. But going through it, there's all of these nuances and all of these things and all of this work you have to do on yourself when, once again. <laughs> and, you know, things that I wouldn't have done, like, I ain't cutting out dairy. You know, when you see eczema on your baby that you're breastfeeding, I cut out dairy from my diet, you know, and it's like, for example, um, there are all these things that I was willing to do for this new little life inside of me or outside of me that I wouldn't even do for myself, which was very um, eye opening. It's like, why wouldn't I do this for myself? If I know better, shouldn't I be doing doing better? Um, And I think that. there, there's just a no shortage of conversations to be had um, and work to be done. You know, I had to work through my relationship with my own mother and learn more about, I guess, my birth story, how I was brought into this world. And um, again, similar to kind of that the hair journey and looking at yourself, I feel like motherhood for me was another layer of that. I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, it's exciting to hear about the next chapter uh, and the the crown journey and what you all are offering to the world and really how you are um, listening and observing um, both to yourself and to the community, right? Look, digging within what you're seeing and looking at those around you to say, okay, this is, uh, these are the type of conversations that are needed in the space. Uh, and we have to be the ones, we as a, you know, the co- collective, our community has to be the ones to to own these conversations and you're finding mm-hmm. ways to contribute to that and to get to the forefront of that, it seems. So it's, it's really cool to hear. Yeah. I mean, if we're not leading the conversations, it's going to be some bullshit. <laughs> Excuse my French. Like, it's not going to be yeah. for us. Um, and it, you not know, we're going to keep continuing these cycles generation after generation. And I know that you know, white culture, (laughs) capitalism is obsessed with scale, 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 scale. Like it doesn't matter unless it's the biggest, unless it's the the most lucrative and, you know, all of these things like crown is not the biggest crown is not, you know, the most lucrative thing that, that honestly I could be doing (laughs) with my time. You know, it really is, it has been a sacrifice for this family to continue. Um, but it is necessary. And I know that even even if we are, quote unquote, small on this arbitrary capitalistic scale, we our impact is mighty. And, um, you know, I think that is the okie doke. Like we quit because it's like, oh, we're not popping anymore. 
or we, you know, there's so many reasons. There's so many reasons to quit, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, many of it, m- much of it being our own people, uh, you know, the judgment from our own people. We're the hardest, we're the, our own toughest critics, you know. Um, and we aren't perfect because we are underfunded, because we're working in uh, uh, racist every industries, but racist advertising industry in our case. Um, there's all of these things that are forces to quit. Um, but I, uh, I know that our impact on the greater um, conversation has mattered and it has been impactful. And, you know, until, until I, <laughs> like, this will not, this was not my first, our first business is, is not our only business currently. It won't be our last business, but, um, I think it is extremely, an extremely important offering and it will continue to evolve. You know, it goes back to us controlling and owning our own image. I think that has been co-opted, <laughs> you know, even since we started, it's been co-opted by, the you know we'll just say the white owned <laughs> platforms that yeah. create like the black spinoff you know it's like mm-hmm. we gotta own our narrative and it's mm-hmm. like but who owned you and then who owned you now <laughs> because you were independent and now you're owned by these people now they're bankrupt it's like oh, what is man. happening Talk that shit. you know it's like you know, you have these young people who want to make an impact and make a difference, and I understand why. But when you're doing it in Master's House, it can only do so much, you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's going yeah. to be twisted and it's going to be used against us. Um, I just want us to to open our eyes and understand that. Just get over the doing it for clout thing, you know, like. Crown is honestly, it's it's blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> that, that have gone into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't say that to be self-important, but I say that to say, you know, we have tried our best to hold the line and to not accept scraps <laughs> and um, to not sell sell ourselves out, sell our people out. To, to water down the story, to get a deal, you know what I mean? Or to water down our message. Um, but I, I I just want to see us not just going for the trend of the day and not just wanting to be seen. Um, I think we're in a time where with social media, we we want to be seen and Crown is is it's actually been a challenge for us because crown is slow. It's a, it's print. And so it takes time. It takes money, but yeah. we believe that we deserve to be immortalized in print. Um, we, we deserve to be able to pass something down to our grandchildren. That is not a throwaway newsstand magazine, but it's something that you can look at a time and it, it is a piece of history. It is a bit of a time capsule. Mm. Um, you know, people are still buying the first magazine we ever made, like it's new, <laughs> which is which is pretty cool to see. Um, but I, you know, again, the the purpose was to for black women to finally truly see themselves. I mean, of course, that's through. I won't say from through two people's perspective, because there are many perspectives that make up each issue. But 
that is our editorial ideal that we're putting through the world. And we, I understand that that is not everybody's ideal, but is our offering. Um, we want to engage Black people in higher thought. That has been a very uh, strong driver of what we do. Um, because we can, we, uh, most of, most of what we read is about who's smashing who or who's fighting with who or, you know, this petty person stuff. did that. It's super petty. It's, you know, it's stuff that is a distraction, really. Um, it's a distraction of, again, that work on self and distraction from connecting with others and healing ourselves so that we can connect with others. A distraction from building, you know, businesses, whether that's a business with someone, whether that's purchasing land and building that up, for, but um, building community and building autonomy um, through our daily actions. Like, I, I hope that we get away from this, like going on, well, I guess it's X now, but <laughs> Twitter X going on there and tweeting, 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 tweeting about how everything is messed up. And then going and working for the corporations that are doing the same things mm -hmm. <laughs> or going out and protesting and then spending 40, 50, 60 hours a week upholding the system that we're protesting against. Um, I think we really have to get real with ourselves. And if we may want to dismantle what is in place and for good reason, but who and what? Are we going to build in its place? What are we going to build? Lindsay, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time today and appreciate the work you're doing uh, with Crown and everything else. So thank you for joining us on Black History Year. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, honestly. Really appreciate just this idea of Black liberation Man, keep fighting this fight. <laughs> that was Lindsay Farrar, founder of Crown Mag. To learn more about the power and beauty of natural hair, visit www.crownmag.com. That's C-R-W-N-M-A-G.com. At Push Black, we agree with Marcus Garvey when he said, a people without knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. We believe telling empowering stories on black life and history can build a more liberated black future. Being here with us lets us know you probably feel like that's important too. You matter. Your choice to be here matters. It lets us know that you value this work. And you make Push Black happen with your contributions at blackhistoryyear.com. Most people do five or ten bucks a month, but really, everything makes a difference. Thank you for supporting the work. Black History Year is a production of Push Black, the nation's largest nonprofit black media company. Our team includes Tariq Alani, Brooke Brown, Tasha Taylor, Somalia Rahman, Amber Davis, and Darren Wallace. Producing this episode, we have Sydney Smith and Lynn Webb for Push Black, and Ronald Young Jr., who also edits the show. Black History Year's executive producers are Lily Workna 
and me, Julian Walker. Peace.